0: I would say that our family is the healthiest it's ever been. I have more inspiration, excitement, and joy in my life than, I might, than I'm sure I've ever had. There's no, there's no ifs, ends or buts about it. I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm saying that because I believe God wants you to feel the same way. And the, the truth is, is when you know God's perfect love, whether you are going through something or not, God always turns it out for his good. And when you understand how good He is, you understand that even in the difficult times, God's always with you and He's working things out of you. Had I understood that a lot sooner, I maybe would have stopped manifesting as much as I did before. I would have just said, Okay, Lord, I trust You even more. This doesn't feel good. It's hard and it hurts. But I know that You're doing something good inside of me. And what I'm saying to you right now is I want you to be encouraged. This isn't a comparison. What I'm telling you is is the, the new normal is going to be better than the last normal. Now I know some people just don't believe that uh, because of what you're seeing around us, in the world around us. And some of you are like, man, I want to get back to normal. If we could just get back to the way it was. What if God doesn't want it to go back to the way it was? And, and I'm not talking about, you know, some normalcy of life and no masks and, you know, rest- I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what if God wants the new normal in your life to be better than what you had before? What if God is doing something and we don't see it, and it's a total divine setup? And what if instead of manifesting and being angry at what we see in the world around us, God's wanting to do something in us, and he loves us, and he's not caught off guard, and we don't just say it, but we actually really know it. Like, we believe that God's still on the throne and not caught off guard from our head, but what if we really knew it in our heart? What if the new normal coming to your life was 10,000 times better than what you ever had before? But see, but see, that's hope and faith and trust. But so many of us actually don't really believe that in our heart. Oh, trust me, I get looks of skepticism, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that aren't going to like it. But what I'm trying to tell you is that God's doing something so much bigger than what you ever could have thought or imagined. And I believe this whole thing is a setup. I believe the whole thing's a setup. What happens when God interrupts your life? What happens when God interrupts your life in a completely different way than what you expected? Because none of us expected things to look the way that they do. But what if there's another interruption? See, I've been interrupted a lot in my life. I was interrupted in Hurricane Harvey when when our coffee shop in Port Aransas was completely wiped out. And I was the last person to think it would happen to me. In fact, I got it the worst in the whole shopping center. And my, the building that my shop, coffee shop's in sits three to four feet higher than everyone else in the shopping center. And the whole bay did a direct target right in my front door. Oh, and I'm a pastor and a Christian and a son. But it was me that the shop got wiped out to. It was a divine interruption. It was a real cataclysmic collision. What happens when things don't go the way you think they should and problems and struggles and challenges or even loss of life like we've had happen to us before and our life gets incredibly interrupted? And it doesn't look like what you think it should look like. Or what you weren't looking for and especially what you didn't think you needed happened. Because, see, we don't understand, and it doesn't mean that God causes every crisis situation, but what I am saying is interruptions happen, but God wants to bring a divine interruption, and a divine interruption has a purpose behind it to set you on a course you maybe didn't even realize that you needed. A lot of people don't like me telling on myself the way that I am, but we're going to just get it all out. Because we're going to be real and raw and honest. Because as I'm real and raw and honest with myself, my hope and my prayer is that you will be too. And I can't make my experience be your experience, but what I can tell you is God's on the move. And what I can tell you is people ask me, what, what is the prophet saying? What, what's happening in our nation? We all want to know the next prophetic word and what's going to happen with the election and what's going to happen with our country and what's going to happen with the divide. And we're living in this hostility all around us and in a crazy world combusting. And we want to know what God's saying and what God's doing when truly God is coming after you and after his church to deal with us first. It's a divine interruption. It's exactly what happened to me four weeks ago. It was a holy and divine interruption that took place in a way, place and time I least expected. Four weeks ago, starting Sunday night four weeks ago for two nights, Sunday and Monday night. It was a dark hour. It was a fearful hour. In the middle of the night for two straight nights in a moment, I felt completely forsaken as if I didn't even know the Lord. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to pray. I, didn't, I felt completely forsaken in that moment. I was shaking, convulsing, fear, terror. Death was on my door. I felt like I was going to die. All of the lies caved in on top of me in the middle of the night, and it was as if God completely took his hand off me, and I couldn't even talk to the Lord. I didn't even know what to say. I felt completely powerless and abandoned in that moment. It's crazy to talk about. 27 years later, all I've known, all I've done, all I've taught, everything that's happened in my life, here I am, pastor. But see, I understand the purpose behind it. I didn't in the moment, but four weeks later, and even through the whole process, I felt so much of God's love. Many of you may not know the story, and some of you watching may not know what happened to me four weeks ago, and I don't have time to go into it. All I can tell you is in the night for two straight nights, it was sheer terror, fear, abandonment, loneliness, isolation, uh, complete anxiety and panic attack like I'd never felt before, shaking and convulsing in the night. Have you ever felt that way, Or, or am I the only one? because most of us don't want to talk about or self-deprecate because we think that there's something really wrong with us and there's a problem, and what will other people think? So how about if I just go ahead and stand up here as your poster child pastor and just tell you, And I can't make my experience your experience, but what I can tell you, chances are likely if God's doing something in me, he wants to do it in you. And at least we need to say, okay, my house has been swept clean. Some of y'all are living like you got perfect clean houses, but if we lift up the rug, you got a bunch of hidden junk underneath. And I'm just revealing my own hidden junk so that you'll self-deprecate and stop preserving yourself so we could actually become one. One. Because until we do that, we're, we're living a lie, and we're living with prejudice injustice, and injustices in our heart, and we're thinking bad things and judging each other. And I like you, but I really actually deep inside don't like you because I have all these things about you that I'm thinking that I wish were different about you. And the whole time I'm trying to pick the speck out of your own eye, and I don't even realize it, and I got a log in mine. And if God didn't highlight it with his light, I would never have seen it. Everything I'm teaching you only comes by Revelation. I'll teach it to you and I'll show it to you in the word of what God's showing me and why he does what he does. But until you get highlighted by God and see it for yourself, you're never going to really know it. It comes by insight and revelation. It's real brokenness in a way we've never known or seen before. When you thought everything was, we were good. I'm good. All is well. When I thought I was good, but I was living a lie. Not a complete lie. I know you're like, man, wow, pastor, has been. listen to me. I'm, I'm going to make sure you understand something. I know I'm forgiven, and I'm fired up and happy and joyous, and I was the whole time because I'm a son. And I understand what correction does for a son. But my son doesn't yet. He's six. And even my own son, when I've had to discipline and correct him, Somehow, I don't even know where this came from, but my own son at six, recently in a meltdown, in me correcting him and disciplining him, he's like, you hate me, you hate me. My son literally thought in that moment or was saying, I hated him. I don't know where he got that from, but it crushed my heart. I'm like, son, I love you. I know you don't understand right now why I'm doing what I'm doing to you, and I'm not beating him, I'm not cussing at him, I'm not yelling at him, and I rarely spank him. Spanking's not a go to tool. It's there. I spank him when it's absolutely, God says, this is a very serious, rebellious issue, but it's far and few between. There's other ways. I mean, if I really want him to melt down, I just tell him no TV or iPad. It's like worse than a spanking. <laughs> you think the world's come to an end. But somehow, my son, in my correction and discipline of him, he doesn't understand that if I don't correct him and discipline, what's going to come down the line for him is going to be way worse. But because I absolutely love him to no end is why I correct him to protect him. And all the while, he thinks, in that moment, I hate him. How many of us are like that? We don't have a good understanding of God's divine interruption in our life because we think we're good, because we're full of pride and shame and selfish ambition, and we're all preserving ourselves subtly, and we're keeping each other at a distance. And God says, no, 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 I'm coming for a purpose that's much bigger and greater than what we realize. I'm not saying all of you are doing that, but I would suspect that every single one of us has hidden areas of it that we don't see or we don't know. We just need God to show it to us. When you thought you were good and all was well, and suddenly your entire world comes crashing in upon you with fear, anxiety, doubt, disbelief, and even sheer terror for your life. This was me a month ago. No, just to set the record straight, I did not have a blowout of sin the night before or the the minutes before. No, I don't look at pornography. I'm not doing anything blatantly that, that I could point to. That I could say this precipitated that. I wasn't doubting God in a recognizable way. I wasn't afraid when it all happened. I don't, I don't really battle fear that I knew of in the in the obvious ways of fear, but subtly in my heart, there's fear in every area of my life. I just may not say it. And it's not the fear that I realized or even recognized, but it's in subtleties and decisions and people and actions and worries and what people think or what people will do or what she's going to think about me or how it's going to look if i don't do this and what about me and my needs when all the while perfect love should be it's all about her and her needs if god had not taken me in a vision to see myself as such a fool i would never have recognized it and i said man you are i looked at myself and i said what a fool you are and god said yeah you are a fool But you're my fool, and I turn fools into gold. So pick yourself up, stop thinking I hate you, pull it it together, I'm a good father, and I'm for you. I'm just showing you what's inside of you that you didn't even know was there. (laughs) Oh man, woo, yeah! You don't even understand how fired up this gets me. It only solidifies who I am. It only solidifies who you are. See, we don't like correction. We think God's against us. And then we use, and then especially if God uses another person to correct us, oh, heck, no way. Oh, it's true, though. It's funny, but it's true. I didn't sin, in fact. I can't point to anything that precipitated this encounter except one thing. The only thing I can point to that precipitated the encounter that I had was the two messages I had preached prior. Those two messages, actually there were three messages. It started on Father's Day. I preached on sonship. The second Sunday after Father's Day, or the first Sunday after Father's Day, I taught on walking in the Spirit. And then the third Sunday, I taught on Bold as a Lion. And the whole premise of the message was coming out from underneath the ministry of condemnation and never allowing yourself to feel condemned. Some of you might remember it. And if you didn't hear those, you should go hear them because I really didn't have any idea what I was talking about. Oh, that's when's the last time a pastor told you, go listen to a message you really didn't know what he was talking about? Now, don't get me wrong. God was in it. But all I did was set my own self up. He said, oh, you think that was nice. He goes, now I'm gonna let you see and feel. See, why would I feel the way I felt? Did Jesus ever feel forsaken? Did Jesus say, Father, why have you forsaken me? Some of you feel forsaken, but the truth is, is you're not. Was Jesus actually forsaken? You see if you don't realize the depth of your own depravity and the depravity of others how will you walk in compassion and perfect love for yourself and for others All the while we pretend How pretentious really are we because the truth is is we're probably really pretentious All in the name of Jesus I wasn't crying out in deep intercession that night. I wasn't like she got up a bombarding the heavens, calling out, crying out. Oh man. In my pit of quicksand, I cried out to the Lord. No. I was just moving right along. Every just like another normal day. A normal night. In fact, it was the opposite. I was good and all seemed well, but little did I know just how much I wasn't. How much I wasn't. How little I really knew and how much I desperately needed my space invaded. The hidden and unknown spaces of my heart that were protected. Protected from God, protected from my wife, protected from my kids, my friends, and the world around me. Hidden judgments. Hidden perceptions, hidden fears, hidden shame. Subtle hidden control. How much did I have? It had pervasively invaded and infected every area of my life and I didn't even know it. Until a divine interruption happened. Drum roll. Divine interruption. My life was divinely interrupted. It was a complete divine interruption from a loving father. Until a divine interruption from the loving father, a faithful son, and a comforting spirit captivated my mind and took me prisoner that night. See, literally, I was taken captive. I became a prisoner. If God did not come and rescue me in that moment, I would have sunk in utter despair and depression and fear and darkness. And I don't know how I would have recovered. But he came that night, and he took my mind captive. He took my mind prisoner that night. When I was so desperate, so afraid, so alone, and so in need of being rescued. When I was a man full of selfish ambition, rescued by a God of perfect love. This would be the first time perfect love had rescued me, by the way. I was rescued 27 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus, 2003. I've been rescued tons of times by perfect love. But this would be one of the most recognizable and most marking, impactful nights of my entire life. Though perfect love had always been there for me, my own selfish ambition had blinded me to my own need. My need for deliverance from the subtle bondage to vain imaginations. High things in the depth of my heart that daily assaulted the true knowledge of God's perfect love for me and others. But the question I've had was why now? Of all the times in my life, all these years, why now? Like, really, I'm like, okay, Lord, why now is this happening to me? i am fascinated pondering this question of all the times, why now? Why would God choose to bring such an interruption in my life the way that he did when he did, especially when I wasn't looking for it? I wasn't even looking for it, but he did. And the Lord gave me four reasons why it was time for the divine interruption and the invasion of perfect love in my heart. Let me give you the first reason. Here's the first reason. Number one, because God loves me, period. More than what I'm going to do, more than what's going to happen, more than what he's preparing us for, more than what's going on in the world. God wanted to make sure more than anything else how much he loved me. See, when I correct my children and when I love my children, it's not about, oh, man, you're going to become so great, Zion. You're going to become so—I see greatness in them, but I'm not loving them for the greatness of what they're going to become. I'm loving them for the greatness of who they are. See, until you know how much God really loves you, there's no rest. Right. Until you know a loving father, you're still an orphan. Yeah. And if you don't get correction, you're illegitimate. You're an orphan. If I never corrected my son, he wouldn't really be my son. Or I would be treating him as an illegitimate son. We have illegitimate sons and daughters everywhere in our society. We need fathers that know how to love and correct him. We need them in the church too. But I would have stayed the same, thinking I knew the depth of his love for me when I really didn't know it, which was causing all these other things. Because the number one identifier of a lack of perfect love is fear, working angles, subtleties, protection, my likes and wants, not his likes and wants, my posts, not his posts, my words, not his words. But I think they're his words, but they're not. And if God didn't invade my mind and my heart, I would not have known it or even seen it because I thought I was good. Oh, I'm saved now. I'm a Christian. I've got, look at all that God's done in my life. Man, the Lord really loves me. I can't take any credit for it. And all the whole time, I'm actually subtly in my heart taking credit for it. But I didn't even realize that I was. It's not like I have malicious intent. It wasn't malicious intent. I wasn't conniving. We wouldn't be where we're at if I was. God wouldn't have brought us together. But what God's saying is, okay, now I'm going to shift you because I'm shifting my church. Because we all want to know how to deal with that when God says, I want to deal with you. And while we manifest on the world with our typing and Republicans and Democrats and the president and the world combusting and the conspiracy theories and all these other things, God's looking straight at you saying, I'm coming after you because judgment starts with the house of God. Doesn't mean I'm not aware of those things. It doesn't mean I don't hate many of the things that are happening. And it doesn't mean I don't stand against them. But if I don't deal with the things in my own heart first, I'm sitting here blowing smoke at everybody else while I have a log in my own eye. Does God want you to pick specks out of other people's eyes, yes or no? He does, yes. But guess when he wants you to do it, when you've dealt with the log in yours. So guess what God's doing in me? And maybe I'm just being put on display because we all got logs in our eyes that God wants to deal with. I don't know. Maybe you're perfect. Maybe you got it all together. Maybe religion's making you really mad right now because you don't want to own it because you're good. No, I'm being serious. This is happening to my wife. God's not leaving any of us alone. Our relationship, our marriage, our friendships, because I'm going to show you the four reasons why, starting first with the fact that God loves you, because until you know perfect love, you're never going to be rested. You'll always be worried about tomorrow and afraid, and you're going to protect your jobs and your careers and your future, and you're going to preserve yourself from each other. And We're going to say we have, we're unified, hey, when really we have hatred in our hearts towards each other. It's, you know, I was like, oh, well, man, you're so tough calling it hatred. It's like, okay, I subtly dislike you. You know what God calls that? Hatred. He calls it hatred. And I said, Man, you'd be so hard on yourself. As compared to who? People said, Man, you've loved me better, you've loved me so well. As compared to who? Your other pastors? Good. Good. Because I fall way short compared to Jesus. Oh, that felt so good to say I'm getting set free on another level that I didn't even know that I needed. Oh, some people aren't going to like, man, I don't want to pastor like that. It's like, wow, I need need to pastor that strong and bold and courageous. You know how much strength and boldness and courage it takes to self-deprecate? Because, see, what this is really doing is producing a more authentic, refining fire inside of me. If you thought I was ever fired up before, no, trust me. If you thought I loved at all remotely with an ounce of the tip of your fingernail well, you have seen nothing yet. So God loves us, so he invades our space. God loves us so he doesn't leave you the same. God loves us because he wants us rested, not full of anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, and all the while we think we're good and we're full of pride and we're not good. He loves us because we're sons and daughters. So if you're a son, then you have to understand that you need discipline. You need chastening and scourging. Chastening means to train train you and discipline you. And scourging means to whip you. Sometimes as a loving father, because he loves us, he comes to correct it. I'm going to read it to you in Hebrews 12 here in just a minute so that you can understand on a greater depth what I'm talking about. Because when I talk about God chastening and scourging us, we're like, huh? We don't see it because he loves us. A lot of times we see it because he hates us or he's against us. And then the devil comes in to say, God didn't really say he loves you perfectly. You're such a screw up. He's actually making you punish for what, punishing you for what you did because he's not good. It's always an assault on the goodness of a loving father. Trust me. The enemy always assaults the goodness of a loving father. We, He corrects and invades because he loves us so that he can make us more like him in discipline and training, which produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness so that we can know the depth of his perfect love for ourselves. Because until you know how much God loves you and you see that he went to the cross for you personally, that he gave it all for you, that when he was whipped, he was whipped for you until you get inside of himself and you walk up the Via Deloroso Ro- De carrying the cross, you're never going to understand what it means to carry the cross for yourself and for others. The second reason why I believe God did it now was because something, incre- this is the great news. Okay, you ready? I gave you one great news, i will give you even better news. Yes, he loves you, but here's the great news. Something so profound is about to happen to the likes that none of us have ever seen before. Mark my words. I've been feeling it for a long time. I've had, it, I've had prophets and friends say something incredible is coming to Corpus Christi. We've all, many of us have believed that something supernatural is going to happen at Rock City Church. It's going to happen in our city. We've been crying out for it. We've been believing for it. And the truth is, is I really believe I, believe I believe it's going to be bigger than anything you've ever known or seen. I think the word revival sells it short, personally. I think even trying to call it revival will sell it short. It'll be so incredible. It's going to be amazing. And what God's saying is if we don't have the undercurrent of perfect love pulling us and driving us, then actually what's going to happen is going to crush you. Because we'll wear out. We won't be able to sustain it and contain it. Because this doesn't have the undercurrent of perfect love. That's number one. God's saying, you thought anything you had was good wait till you see what's about to come, but first I gotta make you so much more like me in perfect love, or it's gonna crush you and kill you. So great news, God's turning up the heat of his love so we can sustain and contain what's about to come, right? That sounds awesome. But if we don't have that current of perfect love, here's what God showed me. Number one, we're gonna take credit for what's happening And we're going to do it in his name. And we're suddenly taking credit and giving ourselves accolades that we're the ones that did it. Look at me. Look at us. And we'll celebrate what we did all in his name. And thus, we'll become even more prideful. Hence, we'll implode. And the move will kill us in an ungodly way. And we'll crumble under the weight of it. And then we'll actually get mad at God. See, God, you did this. You poured out your spirit, now it's killing me, and I'm prideful, and I'm arrogant, and now it's all crumbling down, and what you wanted to do went through my fingers, and all the while, I didn't have perfect love, and I was celebrating my own own accomplishments, or our accomplishments. The next thing is it wouldn't be authentic, and it'd actually be as if we didn't even know the Lord, and all the while, we'll do it in the same thing, we were doing God's will. Here's the word for that. How about in judgment day, the people are going to come to the Lord. They're going to say, Lord, didn't we have an awesome revival? Didn't we prophesy, lay hands on the sick, bust up some demons? Man, it it was a Holy Ghost party. People were getting set free and delivered. And man, all in your name. And he goes, away from me. I didn't even know you. See, you can do all the right things and not even know God. You want to know a good example of that? The rich young ruler. The rich young ruler shows up to Jesus and he says, Lord, I've kept all the commandments. What do I need to do now? He had done everything right, but still needed to know what he needed to do more. And the Lord basically, some paraphrase it says, You have no idea what perfect love is. You think your works are going to save you. You can go through all the right motions and not even know the Lord. He says, So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it to the next level. Sorry, I'm spitting on you. Here's a tissue. Let's get back from you a little bit. All the while you think you're good and there's perfect love standing in front of you. See, here's what I want you to see. Even selling everything would not have saved him. Oh, you think, oh man, I sold it all and I gave it all away. Oh man, pearly gates, here I come. See, we think the the, the message was about The fact that he needed to sell everything and follow Jesus. That wasn't the point. The Lord says, you think all your good works are going to save you. I'll take you up. I'll one up you. Why don't you sell everything and follow me? See, because perfect love gives everything away. And he's standing in front of perfect love. And he's literally telling Jesus himself, I have done everything right. Now tell me the next right thing I need to do to be saved. And Jesus was demonstrating that you think you're good, You sell it all and give it all away. Let's go. He already knew he wouldn't do it. And we all say, man, I've done all the right thing and I love the Lord. But the, if he wants to take you to the next level and ask you to give it all up, we won't. Because we won't give up careers and businesses And jobs and stuff and friendships because we're preserving ourselves when all the while we need perfect love and we're protecting onto our things thinking that's going to save us. A good example is in the beginning of COVID when I do the Facebook Live with Brad McClendon and and I'm like, what should people do who's losing their businesses? He said, when you have lordship, lose your business. Oh, man, did I manifest. Manifest. I was like, yeah, that's so good. And inside, I'm just hating, hating in my heart. Oh, but I didn't tell you that, did I? Now I did. But he was right. When you're willing to let it all go and you're not preserving or protecting anything because you trust the Lord, it becomes his way and not your way. But while you subtly manifest and preserve and protect yourself and don't like people and hide and pout and bow up, what you're really doing is you're separating yourself from others in subtle fear and shame and self-control because you don't like them. And really it comes down to the fact we don't like ourselves. But we don't see it until God reveals it to you. So, If God does something really incredible and we don't have the undercurrent of perfect love, here's the most important thing I want to share share with you, is that we'll miss the depth of joy and celebration we would encounter as we see other people experience true freedom, healing, and perfect love. True unity won't happen, and in the end, we would be left empty instead of full. So check this out. We could pour out and God's pouring out and all this incredible stuff and healing and a great movement of God and we do it all. If we don't have the undercurrent of perfect love, guess what will happen? You'll go home empty. And then you say, well, it's my turn now. Now it's my turn to feel good and feel happy because you got it and now I need to get it. Instead of really rejoicing in what God's doing in you, think about this. For This is so subtle. This is why so many ministers commit suicide. This is why great Worship leaders and so many have affairs because now God did something so incredible through me and that was nice. But when I go home, I'm left empty and void, and now it's my turn to feel good. What about me? So we click around and we goof around and we drink around and we toke around and we do all these things to bring comfort. Because that was really nice in my anointing. I'm actually leaning on my gift and my charisma, but we don't know him. And it was all in his name. When what I really want to see is such joy, like giggle. Like I'm talking giggling. I'm talking like real drunk in the spirit with joy. I'm talking like I am so insanely full of joy watching what's happening to you. I don't have any thought of what you're going to do in the church. I'm not thinking, oh, man, finally, that jacked up. Fill in the blank. Finally, jacked up Troy. I mean, finally, I was waiting for Troy to get rocked or Nicole or. Suji or Catherine, I've put in your name. It's not any one person. I'm making a point here. When God pours out his spirit, real unity has no strings. Real unity is, I'm so happy for you. And it fulfills my joy. Paul used that word many times fulfill my joy by being like minded, one accord, one love, one heart. There's so much in those first four verses of. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Oh, like, holy cow. It's fulfilled joy. You know, let me describe fulfilled joy to you, your children. Oh, man. Woo, my son, when something good happened, like we went to the park or we went on a treasure hunt. I got to tell you this fun story. I shared a little bit online. And we found a butterfly that had a little blo- broken wing. And it was so beautiful just sitting on that tree. And Zion, my son, loves to collect bugs. He Bugs, he's fascinated with bugs. He's a bug hunter. Anywhere we go, he wants to hunt bugs. And this, he, we found this butterfly, and I'm looking down, and he's looking down. and He's got his little bucket next to him. And the butterfly could hardly fly, and it went up in the air and then right into his bucket. And it's fluttering in his bucket and like man zion wow and we're all like oh my gosh we've never seen that happen before and i'm like man that was so awesome and 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 we kept and you should have seen the little smile on his face the smirk that was on his face and the lord was like that's how much i love him and i said design i said jesus loves you so much that was a sign from god but you know who it was really a sign for Because I saw that little smile on his face Mm -hmm. with absolute joy. This happens many times, like when they accomplish something and and they feel that I'm, when they feel how proud of them I am. See, we don't feel how proud the Father is of us because we didn't have that with our own dads. And we feel so, I mean, it's this feeling of accomplishment. It's this feeling of, man, my dad loves me so much. It's the love of a child. That's what I want to feel for you. That's what I want us to feel for each other. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want God to start doing some anything great here until we get that. Come on. For your kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's an entire generation being raised in this nation. Little children, beautiful girls and sons and daughters. All over this nation. There's a whole generation of young children about to take over and coming up the ranks. And God has his eyes on them. But even more so, he's got his eyes on us of how we're going to love and represent him accurately. And then the next thing is if God does all that and we don't walk in in perfect love, then the gifts and the manifestations won't really profit profit all. So check this out. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, I've taught on it so many times. All my supernormal natural nights, I've taught on this scripture. The manifestation of the Spirit's given for the profit of all. And it's in the context of the gifts of the Spirit and the outpouring of the Spirit, or God's uh, really showing himself strong through signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Spirit. But actually, there's a more excellent way than that. So now the way that I see it is what's really happening is the the Spirit's manifesting himself in me to profit all of us. But I'm not the only one when he does it in you, you, you. We all profit. In fact, the Romans 111 really comes to light that we have a mutual benefit. We benefit now. We have a deeper unity now because what God's doing in us together, because now God's revealing to you, Things he's revealing to me now we're getting free from all the stuff that's kept us divided and now we actually have a real profiting because we get unified and we don't just throw the word around haphazardly we really actually become one you know where it starts right here because if i can't manage my own house i can't manage this house And if I don't get my marriage the way it's supposed to be, then why would I ever think we could get this the way it's supposed to be? So the whole night, God dealt with me with my spouse. That's why until marriages get healed and restored and unified, how can we expect to do anything in God's house and take it to the next level? It wasn't that my marriage was so bad, but it was that I was so selfish. God will deal with my wife however he wants. I need to lay my life down like Jesus did. You don't get an out. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Period. I'm like, man, this is not an enjoyable death. At the moment. But it always turns out to be awesome. All right. Next, number three. This is the third reason why I believe God did what he did in me now. Those were pretty awesome. Here's the bad news. Here's the bad news, okay? It's not so bad news when you look at it the right way, but it really is a situation of what's happening in the world around us. The bad news is, is there is a complete assault against the hearts of men, and there's one coming against you. You think it's bad now? You have seen nothing about what's coming. Right. In fact check this out. It's going to be so bad that Matthew 24 12 says that lawlessness is going to abound so bad that the love, notice it says the love of many will grow cold. Would you all agree with me that the world's love is growing cold? Guess what? It's happening in the church. I know a lot of Christians with cold love. You're so consumed with the news feeds and the world that anger and apathy and growing cold is subtly happening and you don't even realize it. So here's what God said. This is my counter tactic. The enemy's plan is to get your heart to grow cold. So I'm going to counter it and I'm going to take the stove in your heart from a warming, number two, to a number nine boiling. If we don't get perfect love radiating with complete passion and zeal, that's why I started this out by saying, man, I've never been happier. And I know the subtle things, well, gosh, I've never been more miserable. I don't. And then we compare. I don't want you to compare. What I want you to do is understand that maybe we've loved less and maybe we're full of fears and can protecting ourselves when really God wants to invade your space with perfect love. Because that's what's happening to me. So here I am self-deprecating. An old family, new family walk out for service. They're like, man, I don't want a pastor like that. We take off the facades, the fake veils that we think the presence is behind. We think the Ark of the Covenant's behind there. Now, don't get me wrong. For the sake of conversation, I do believe God's been with me the whole time. I do believe God's loved me and I've loved well. I just think I can love so much better. I do believe that God has seen me through the whole time because I've never had a malicious intent to connive or hurt you. I just didn't know what I was doing. The the faster you can say, I have no idea what I was doing, the faster you find forgiveness. And it's not a pass. It just makes you realize how much of a deception you were in. Even if it's super subtle and you're not even that bad. You're not that bad. You're not really that bad. Well, how much bad can you have? I'm just a little bad. I'm Michael Jackson bad. And you don't even know it. Don't make me moonwalk right now. That's right. Going old school on you right there. <laughs> Michael Jackson bad. (laughs) You just got to self-deprecate, guys. It's all right. Some of you are so serious. I know I'm intense, but I'm getting crushed and refined. I understand it. I'm going to show you the most important thing in Hebrews 12 here in a minute. You got to understand God's correction and divine interruption in your life saves you because he's a loving father, not out to crush you. And until you know the love of the Father, you're always going to see yourself as an illegitimate child. And we'll live illegitimately because we don't really believe that God is good and that he'll save us. And then we find ourselves like we did that night, my night. All these years, I didn't even know what to say. I I felt like a complete illegitimate orphan. Was I? Did I feel that way? Have you ever felt that way? Do you want to stop feeling that way? Me too. (laughs) This assault that's coming is designed to bring deception and cause our love to grow cold. It's going to come through lawlessness. It's also called the great falling away in the Bible. But the great falling away is not just going to be from the world. It will also be from the elect. And Matthew 24 says, even the elect will be deceived. So you have the option of deception or perfect love. And if there's any deception now, out. Because even subtle deceptions will grow into more. You think it's just a little old hidden seed, but trust me, with what's coming down the line, it's going to get so difficult for the world, but for the church, we're going to flame on. We're not going to be the little subculture sissy barely survivors. Say, like, oh man, I don't know what's coming. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Our new normal is going to be a thousand times better. This church is going to be standing room only because the harvest is coming. We do not have a harvest problem. We have a worker problem. So I got a problem, and I used to say it. Y'all got a problem, and I would teach it from a position. You're the issue. Oh. <laughs> You don't even want me to start self-deprecating to the depth of what God is showing me. It's ugly, but it's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, let's not pretend to be religious anymore. We don't need any more pretension. I thought I was good while I had a harvest problem with the church. God's gonna make us all right workers fueled by perfect love without selfish ambition because we don't have actually real unity. I can't speak for other churches. And here's the fourth thing that I want to say to you is the reason why I believe God did it now. I wrote this down. He'll never... Will never truly be one and experience unity as he so desires, and will never show the world a misrepresented God accurately. The Bible says that the end of all things is here, and it requires something from us. Let me show it to you. First Peter chapter four verse seven. Watch this. The end of all things is when, you know what, at hand means, right now. The Bible's more relevant today than it's ever been. It's becoming more alive. I am reading scripture right now in a way I've never, it's like God pulled a veil back and it's become more alive today than it's ever been to me. It's gonna happen for you too. So here's what the Lord says. He says, look, the end of all things is at hand now. I want you to be, keep your eyes on me, always be watching and always be in communion. But even more than that, above all, look at the next verse, above all in verse eight, I want you to do something. You know what the word fervent means? It means number nine on boiling. <clears throat> the big burner, not the little one. It's the big burner, number nine, boil. The end of all things is a hand. And if we don't have fervent love for one another, what we're going to do is we're going to put condemnation and shame instead of cover them. Because now maybe we can start confessing some stuff and be real. I don't know how much I have to confess confess until we finally get it, but I'll keep confessing because I don't care anymore because I'm covered in perfect love. It doesn't even matter, not even this church. It doesn't even matter. I don't have to protect this church. The end is now. I don't know how long it's going to go. I hope it's multiple generations. As much as I'd love to see Jesus return, I don't want him to return and people perish. That's perfect love. Oh, but I can think of people I really want to perish. God says, no, I didn't even want Sodom and Gomorrah to perish. It's Like, oh, yeah, he did. Oh, man, that was a wicked city. He hated those people. No, he hated what the people were doing. So to save them, he sent his son, who was a father, by the name of Abraham, Father Abraham. What the whole picture was, see, we focus on the judgment and the sulfur and the raining hailstones. But you miss Abraham. You miss a father saying, God, please, it was all a setup. You think God didn't have the whole thing orchestrated? Where are the fathers crying out, save the nation, God, because I love them. Save those people I hate, subtly in my heart. You think God wanted to burn up Sodom and Gomorrah? No, he wanted to save it, but because they were unrepentant and there wasn't even a righteous man there. The United States of America has millions of real righteous people that love Jesus. And we're all afraid. Oh, there's things I don't want to happen in our nation, trust me. There's people I don't want in power. But even when I start thinking about them in power, I get full of fear oh my gosh, it's crazy how much fear comes in. I start thinking if that, this happens in the White House or with the elections, it goes both ways, by the way. And the level of fear is causing a level of lawlessness and self-preservation and implosions and everybody's fighting each other. And God says, here I come for perfect love to unify the two of us together, the three of us together. In our differences and in our worlds, God's made us one. How can I love you more perfectly? What do you need? How can I be there for you? Because I love you, not your money, not what you can give back, not what you can do. Not the great testimony you'll have because you love Jesus while you're in a wheelchair, but because of who you are as a daughter. And I'm so excited when I see you flame on and you're dressed so pretty and you, I see you radiate gorgeous because I see God inside of you. Yeah. I don't have any intent, I have no hook for you. Nothing but propelling perfect love. Imagine if we felt that first from God because I still can fall short in it. I want to, I see it, but man, it's overwhelming when I think of all the people I burned and the bridges I burned down and the people I don't talk to anymore because I stiff-armed them because they left me or they don't call me anymore and they didn't do what I thought they should do. And I'm hurting on the inside and I'm judging you while I'm doing it instead of loving you perfectly, I don't know how to fix it all. I don't know the answer. I can't go to every single person for hours of, I can only do what the Spirit leads me to do. I can only become it and let Jesus do the rest. Because if I sit here and live in all the broken things, I'm going to live in regret. But see, godly sorrow has no regret. It only has repentance, salvation, and perfect love. But worldly sorrow will kill you. I have no worldly sorrow. I don't like that. Th- I'm still sorrowful. I'm sorry for what I did to you. I'm sorry I didn't love you well. I'm sorry that I judged you in my heart when you went and blew up over and over again instead of loving you better. I'm sorry that I didn't love you well enough when I wanted you to do something here and you didn't. I'm sorry when I thought something was going on in your personal life that I didn't like. I'm sorry that I didn't support you when you needed my support. I'm sorry that I judged you subtly. And I could sit in there all day long, but I don't have any regrets. I have nothing but pure love. And I don't even have fear that if I confess it, you're not gonna like me because I'm doing it from perfect love. But you might think I've subtly hated you. And if the enemy will come and say, see, see, I knew it the whole time. He never liked you. See, I knew it the whole time. It's something's wrong with you. And then you act like my six-year-old. He just hates me. (laughs) Man, it's so subtle. I know this is intense, but hey. When weren't we intense? You see, judgment must start with the house of God. If the world is perishing... And we'll be judged without, with, if the world is perishing and we'll be judged without knowing Jesus, how much more should we, since we're his? Let me say it again, that, that might have confused some of you. Judgment starts with us. If the world is perishing and we'll be judged without knowing Jesus, which is terrifying, how much more should we check ourselves? I'll sort of paraphrase. Look at the scripture, 1 Peter 4, 17 through 19. For the time has come for judgment to start where? Who's the house of God? Now say, I am. am. It starts with us. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's not going to be a pretty sight. They don't obey, we obey. See, when I correct my son, what am I expecting? A change. Repentance. I don't want to keep correcting him over. I'm like, do not do that. Like I've told you guys, the one little thing, it's like over and over again, hitting his sister, fighting back, and I get it. She does things that makes him mad, and the only way that he knows to protect himself is to fight back, and he'll pull hair, and he'll kick and bite and whatever, take toys or whatever he does, and I'm like, one thing that really is a huge pet peeve for me is a boy hurting a girl, and I know he's a little child, but I'm teaching him now so that when he gets older, he never, ever, ever, ever hurts or lashes out or abuses or hits a woman. Right now. Verse 18. Now, if the righteous one scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? It's going to be bad news for them. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. So if we're going to suffer, what should we suffer? What's real suffering? I did the right thing, and I loved you so well, and you rejected me. God says that's good suffering right there. But see, we don't suffer like that. I did all this stuff for you and you still left me. Wait a minute. You mean I paid for all that stuff? I came to your wedding and I did this for you and I sent you something and I was always there for you and you still did that to me? <laughs> no, no, no. You ain't going to do me like that. When God says, "If you're going to suffer, suffer with perfect love," you know you know what suffering looks like. What Jesus looked like, he deserved nothing that he got. How much better can you love in all the areas that you're protecting and preserving yourself? And how selfish are you? That's a question you got to ask the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, if we're going to suffer, that's how we should suffer bad news for those who don't obey but obedience is a demonstration of love to him so i actually obey the lord my wife showed me this scripture in first peter 1 22. i shared this last week but see you got to see this because of your obedience to the truth you pur- purified your soul and this empowers you to be full of love i actually obey the lord because i'm so in love with him that's why i always tell you if you're trying to get out of porn you're trying to get out of bad situations in your life, the fastest way to do it is to get fascinated because man-made religion is never going to do it. I'm so in love with him that I would not, I'm so in love with her, I would never want to do something against her that would hurt her. I don't ever want to. I do sometimes do things I shouldn't do, but my heart is so for her because I'm so in love with her. And out of my obedience to her, it fuels my love. Really, out of my obedience to God, it fuels my love for you and for others. So obedience is a mandate. We all need a divine interruption, and trust me, it's going to be an interruption. It's a correction done in love that not only proves this love for us, but proves who we aren't. It means that you are a son and not an orphan. Let's say that together. If you're a girl, say daughter. If you're a man, you know who you are. Say son. Ready? I'm a son or a daughter, not an orphan. I'm legitimate, not illegitimate. I'm too legit to quit. <laughs> that was not playing, but MC Hammer, he was my man. <laughs> I'm going to learn the dance just for you by next week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the too legit to quit down, all right? We used to play the music bites until we realized that YouTube would cancel us because they watch for that kind of stuff. All right, I'm going to read this to you, then I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to go home. Okay, remember this, a divine interruption requires repentance and change. It requires a shift in our hearts and our attitudes, and the Lord does it because he loves us, all right? Watch this. This is so good, what I'm about to read you. I decided to read in the Passion Translation, but I read the New King James Version a hundred times over, so I really wanted to understand both of them. But the passion spells this out so phenomenally well. Some things I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to stick to the New King James. But this really, really got me going, okay? Watch this. Hebrews 12, starting at verse 3. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls. Now hold it there for a moment. The New King James says, who endured such hostility against himself how many of you would agree we live in a hostile world more hostile it seems than ever before would you say hostility is high right now it's going to get a lot more hostile now what the new king james says is that jesus is is that they were hostile against jesus against himself but this version really caught my attention because it says face such intense opposition from sinners who oppose their own souls and i went huh And here's what the Lord said. I don't know if they meant to get it, say it this way. Maybe they did. I don't know if they just didn't know or they got it absolutely right. But I said, what do you mean? They, we can all understand that Jesus endured opposition against himself, but this says against their own souls. And the Lord said, that's exactly right. Because when they opposed him, guess who they opposed? Themselves. When you When you don't know perfect love, you don't have perfect love for yourself. When you don't know him, you don't see who you really are. It's the mirror. We've been talking about the mirror a lot. So when you find him, who do you really find? When you don't know him, you don't really know. So when you oppose him, who do you really oppose? So here they are manifesting on Jesus. Guess who they were really manifesting against? They had a... That's the same with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler really was against himself. Because he stood in front of perfect love and rejected it. Because selling all was too hard. Let's keep going. So that you won't become worn down and caving under life's treasure. So here's what it says. If you think you've got it tough and hostile, and maybe you're getting tired. See, I had this word last week that People are becoming apathetic, more and more apathetic in this hour. It's the love of many growing cold. What really it is, people are getting tired. COVID, lockdowns, business. I want to go back to the way my life was. And God said, yeah, I'm bringing a divine interruption. I don't want you to go back to the way you were because the way you were was not like me. God doesn't want you to be worn down in cave under life's pressure. So guess what? Consider Jesus. You think it got a bad? Compared to who? Yeah. <laughs> you think this is tough? Compared to who? Yeah. See, the New King James says he literally despised the shame. Think how much shame Jesus had. People were mocking him and telling him he's an idiot, he's a fool, he's stupid. You think you know God? And all the while they're eating from the wrong tree and the devil's feeding them and they're, they're mocking him, and he literally had to despise the shame. We have to despise the shame. My self-deprecation is me despising the shame while I take up my own cross. And you gotta take up your own. I can't take up your cross, but I will help you bear your cross. That's why I say reach out. You need help? You're alone? You don't need to talk to? You. Reach out. I've been writing and talking to more people, and again, I can only do the best that I can do, but I wanna, love pers- I wanna love perfectly, and we need everybody doing it. Verse four, after all, you've not yet reached the point of sweating blood in your opposition to sin. Or have you forgotten, now watch this. This is supposed to be an encouraging word. Let me give you an encouraging word, all right? You're about to get your hiney kicked and scourged and whipped and chastened from the father. Does that sound encouraging? Hey, son, you're in big trouble right now for what you did. And yes, you're getting a spanking, but be encouraged. (laughs) But you can be encouraged when you know the loving Father always has the best for you. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 11, in the context of the Last Supper, it says if we would judge ourselves, we would not come under the, the judgment of the world. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Have you not forgotten the encouraging words spoken to you as his children when he said, My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training the Lord, of the Lord God, or get depressed or think he hates you when he has to? Okay, I'm going to show you something really good. So he has to correct you, but we get depressed, we manifest, God hates me, he's against me, it doesn't feel good. Verse 6. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence. So so guess what my encounter did four weeks ago? It just proved who I am. See, some of you are, if you don't look at this right, you're going to see shame. Man, I'm so jacked up. Okay, yeah, you are. Rejoice, the Father's coming to strengthen you now. See, I'm starting to understand what Brad's had to say all this whole time. Brad McClendon, that's made me mad. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful what? keep going. And when he draws you to himself, it proves what? You're his child. So correction actually proves who you are. Now you're not illegitimate. See, if I didn't correct my son, I'd treat him as an illegitimate child, and he will be destructive later down the line. But because I love him, I correct him to protect him. Verse 7. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any So fully embrace it. Lord, correct me. If there's anything in me, this is the fastest way to get it. Lord, if there's anything in my life that's not of you, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. Jesus wants to kill anything inside of you that's not of him. I wrote that on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And even though Jesus already died to kill it, there's still branches and trees inside of us that God's saying, I'm bringing my holy axe to cut it off and throw it in the fire. We just have to self-deprecate and say, that is a tree that's bearing no fruit. To the fire it goes. So he's doing what any loving father would do. For who has ever heard of a child who's never been corrected? Had to be corrected. Watch this. Keep going. We should all welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we've never once endured his correction, it only proves you're a stranger. Or you're an orphan. Say, I'm no longer an orphan. No longer. I'm no longer a slave. No longer. Next verse. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected us and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for the short time for our childhoods as it seemed good to them. But God corrects us how often? Throughout your life. Here I am. 28 years living for Jesus. And God says, here comes my holy paddle. Here comes a spiritual spanking. I love you enough because you're my son. I'm not going to leave you the same. It's nothing to be afraid of. Because it, it's for your own good, and it gives you an invitation to share in His Holiness. So I, this whole chapter is good. I've been reading it non-stop. <clears throat> I would encourage you to read the whole thing. I know that was a lot. I know that was intense, but it is what it is. Close your eyes, please. Thank you to everybody watching online. <sighs> what if God wanted to bring a divine interruption? Would you let him? That's the first question. Will you let the Lord interrupt your life today? All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is say, Lord, whatever it looks like, and you don't have to be afraid because he's a loving father. Would you embrace it or reject it? Have you subtly thought in your heart God's against you? ask the Lord, Lord, anything inside of me that's not of you, I don't want it. Show me, Lord. Lord, I receive your correction and discipline. I don't want to live like an orphan anymore. Feeling powerless. Not even knowing what to say or pray. But I want to see you as a loving Father for who you really are. I know that was a lot, but just let the Lord just deal with you right now. Oh, man. God's coming after his bride. He's coming after his children. He's going to make us without spot or wrinkle. How many spots or wrinkles have we had that we didn't even know were there? You're so good, Father, you're so good. Shine your light on every hidden area of darkness so that we can truly be one as you and the Father are one, Jesus. Console us and comfort us. Let us have fellowship with you. Take our minds, prisoners, God. Break the fear, the worry, self-preservation the subtle things we do to protect ourselves and our future and show us that in perfect love we don't have to. You don't have to fight for yourself anymore. He already fought for you. You already fought for us, Jesus. Lord, show us how to love God. Show us how to love our significant others and spouses and friends and Lord, show us who we need to forgive from our past that we so selfishly pulled away from even when they hurt us. Show us, Lord, how we could have loved better past churches and pastors and friends and people we used for our own selfish gain, relationships, men and women. And wash it away, Lord. Forgive us, God. We really didn't know what we were doing We never knew what we were doing, even when we thought we did. Even when we did it purposely, we were still deceived. Lord, I speak forgiveness to this church. I declare sonship, daughtership, identity, that you are legitimate. Your family. You're God's children. You're not orphans. You're not abandoned. God's for you, not against you. And if God's for you, who can be against you? No one. It doesn't matter when it seems like they are. Lord, help us to love them when it seemed like they were against us. When you hung on that cross, Lord, put this church into yourself to see from your eyes as you walked that hill of the skull and died on a dead tree all the while while people mocked you and you still said, Father, forgive them. They're clueless. Lord, we've been clueless. It's not a pass, but Lord, it's a recognition. It's a confession. Cause this church, Lord, and everybody here today, from first service, everybody that's watched, and even those that are part of this church that couldn't watch or be here today, Lord, cause them, Lord, to walk in perfect love to love perfectly the way you do at all times and to respond to a broken, hostile world, despising the shame and walking in perfect love. God, I thank you for this church, our children, the generation that's coming up behind us. Thank you that you're preparing and equipping us for the more that's to come, the great outpouring and even the assault on the hearts of men. Turn it up, God. Turn up the love in our hearts and help us to love better. Lord, we don't really know how to do it, but we'll get our eyes on you and Trust you along the way without condemnation, fear, or shame. Thank you, God, for a true family. Make us one, Lord, and let our joy be full. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I love you guys. Hey, document your journey and keep keep soaking it up. If God starts wrecking, you just soak it all up. And if you want to write me, type away. Love you guys.